0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash Codestory. This episode is supported by Terso. Turso is the open-source Edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there, too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge.
1: Initially, we did not have much of an idea of where this would go. But the customers would nudge us. Hey, you are missing this scheduler hey, you, you know, I need to be able to process a file that comes in. Once we developed an understanding of many different use cases that customers had for data management,
2: then we kind of a uh, picture started to emerge. But one key thing that we always kept in mind was that it has to be a low code, no code solution. It has to be completely GUI based solution. It's a drag and drop interface. We had a pretty good idea that what we want to build, uh, we want to have a full data stack from ingestion all the way to data publishing, and we started to march towards that goal.
0: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Six months moonlighting. There's
2: nothing on the back end.
0: Who share what it takes to change an industry.
2: I don't exactly know it what to do many next. many
0: goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was that Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, my team. Took day. off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really want it's it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Stories. I'm your host, Noah Appart, and today, how Ibrahim Sarani and Jay Mishra are delivering a unified data management platform, code-free. Ibrahim Sarani grew up in Pakistan, dropped out of high school, and in his words, stumbled around for a while. Eventually, he stumbled onto an IBM mainframe, taught himself to code, and has been in tech ever since. He moved to the States in 1988 and has been here since then. Outside of tech, he's an avid hiker and enjoys a good fantasy read like Lord of the Rings. Jay Mishra studied mathematics and computer science. He started out at his current venture right out of college, post his master's program. Outside of tech, he's a dad of two boys who love sports. He enjoys playing chess and golf and likes to hike and travel. And his favorite book is The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. Going back several years, Ibrahim started a consultancy in 2005 or so and mentions working on successful products in the area of mortgage banking. In 2008, the financial meltdown happened, and all of their customers, save one, went out of business. After struggling for a while, they decided to take a foundational utility they had built and bridge the gap to the 2.0 version of their business. This is the creation story of Astera.
1: When the mortgage meltdown happened, one of our key customers was one of the largest banks in the country. And they had this uh, department, you know, servicing acquisition, loan servicing department. This team had 40 people that was primarily focused on getting data files from all of their uh, customers and partners and lenders and importing that into their system. That's all they did, these 40 people. And so they used homegrown scripts, access databases, Excel files, a whole bunch of different things. Customers wanted to consolidate all this in a single unified application because the the current model was not working for them, it was not scalable, it had lots of errors. So they asked us if we could take uh, a small piece that, that we had in our other product and build upon that. We called it data transfer utility at that time. And that is what formed the basis of our relationship with that customer. Once we saw that success, we said, hey, maybe other customers need this. So we tried to market that product outside it was a flop, but in the process, what we did was we would talk to customers and they would say, hey, it's missing this or it's missing that. And over time, the product kept getting better and improved in terms of the features that it provided and the usability that it provided. And I think our 2.0, we, we call it Center 2.0 in those days, and that was our MVP. That is where we started seeing traction with customers and enough customers were buying them to keep us in business
2: that transition from mortgage to data, there was a link between uh, the two phases and we were already working on a small utility. And that utility was a link between the STATA 1.0 and a of 2.0. So we built at the top of it and that's how we got started in the area of data management. Uh, that was the first product and gave us some time to build and take it to market. Of course, in the beginning, we had some failures, but I believe after Three or four years of toiling, uh, we got a product out to the market that got some reception. Based on that feedback, we improved certain areas, added some new features. And uh, in true sense, I think uh, in the space of data management, our journey started around uh, 2010, 11 timeframe
0: let's dive into the what would be the mvp and maybe it's a little bit of that utility that bridged the gap maybe it's the version you built after that to call you know estera 2.0 you decide but tell me about that mvp that first version of the product you created how long it took to build and what sort of tools were used to bring it to life
2: the data mapper was a graphical user interface based uh, data mapping tool with no code and low code. And that we got from the customer actually, because the scenario, the use case was that this customer, they had about 45 developers working on incoming data and writing a lot of code. And they were spending a lot of time. And of course, time that was taken to process those files was not ideal. They wanted to cut down on that time. So that was our goal. We decided that, okay, how about we provide a solution where there's no coding at all needed. And that was a novel concept at that time. And that's how data mapping started. So data mapping was essentially the core product. And we believe in that philosophy to date that no code solution without compromising on the depth of functionality. So it was an ETL data mapping functionality. And that was our first MVP. And of course we built at the top of it.
0: So you've got your mvp it's working you're getting some traction you're ready to take it forward how did you progress the product from there and mature it and i think to wrap it in a box a little bit what i'm looking for is how did you build your roadmap how did you go about deciding okay this is the next
1: most important thing to build or to address with astera initially we did not have much of an idea of where this would go but the customers would nudge us. Hey, you are missing this scheduler. Hey, I need to be able to process a file that comes in, or I need to be able to map this easier, or I need to be able to build a dimensional warehouse. They would give us these ideas and we would explore those ideas. Once we develop some insight into the space, once we develop an understanding of many different use cases, customers had for data management and how they you know different departments interacted with data in the customer organization then we kind of a picture started to emerge you know the customers need the ability to ingest different kinds of data so we would look at different kinds of what are the different kinds of data that they need to well it could be structured data which was the obvious thing then it would be you know uh, human readable data like printed reports and pdfs or edi or xml or web services or erp we built connectors we built uh, uh, mappers for all these different types of data and then okay once you ingest data what what do you need to do on that you need to do quality checks. you need to do different kinds of validations profiling you need to be able to then map that data into uh, some other structures so what are the different kinds of mapping and transformations that you need to provide as that started happening, we built uh, the beginnings of what we were calling an ETL tool. That once that started evolving, then you know, once you put ETL in front of customers and they start stressing it, and they would say, Hey, ETL is not good enough for me, my needs. I have too much data. Then we built an ELT engine on top of that. As we talked to customers and they said, Hey, I am building a data warehouse. And my guys are very expensive SQL developers. And look, they are writing this repetitive SQL statements to load facts and dimensions and manage all this warehouse. And so we said, okay, fine. We will build uh, a data warehouse product that was driven by metadata where your, your data model and your dimensional model and data vault models are at the center of attention. And so we built that. The customers came and said, I need to be able to extract data from human readable. We built those things. So Roadmap evolved from listening to the market, from looking at where the market was going and what, they, what the customers were asking. And you know, over time, a picture started to emerge of a full stack data management platform, which is where we are today.
0: This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real time, and data rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In 3 simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com/codestory. That's t r b l l e.com/codestory. This episode is encrypted by Cipherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption-at-rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption-in-use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption-in-use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL-native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cipherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cipherstashcom codestory and get started protecting your data.
2: We work very closely with our customers and that is from day one. We listen to whatever feedback they're giving to us. Uh, we are sometimes participating in the in the proof of concept, actually the implementations. And we got a lot of uh, these ideas and feedback. And we, of course, evaluated that which one makes sense, which, which one doesn't. And if we add this feature, is it going to be applicable to a larger group, or is it only applicable to this specific customer? So based on that, we decided that what should be added and what should not be. But one key thing that we always kept in mind was that it has to be a low-code, no-code solution. It has to be completely GUI-based solution, it's a drag-and-drop interface. The new functionality that has been added, of course, based on feedback from the customers to a certain point, and after that, of course, we had a pretty good idea that what we want to build. Uh, we wanted to have a full data stack from ingestion all the way to data publishing and we started to march towards that goal
0: so here you you both saying we a lot how did you build your team and and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you
1: we had actually started out by shedding the entire team right we had a, a significant size team in our banking and mortgage banking so, you know operations once that market ceased completely right it was the debt market would have seized completely and stayed that way for many years. We uh, started from a very small team. In at that time, the focus was not to build the team. The focus was, can we even survive this downturn that was so severe? We were living from month to month to decide, hey, should we even stay in this business? So for a long time, we, we actually did not hire. Most of our hiring began about five or six years ago when uh, we decided, hey, this is the time to scale the company. To answer your question about who we look for and how we hire, number one thing I look for in people is curiosity. Are they curious? Do they read? Do they learn about? Do they know about the world around them? Do they think about the world around them? And the other is, you know, do they work hard? Do they have a work ethic? Can they uh, support the customer when the customer needs them? Curiosity, courage, collaboration, those are the things that we do on creativity. Those are the seeds that we look for in people and that's, the, that's what we you know, emphasize in every hire, in every promotion
2: that we do. We keep a very flat structure and also informal structure, as in people are allowed to move from one area to other area depending on the right fit. They can, they can go to a completely different area compared to where they were actually originally hired. So that flexibility and autonomy, people are given full independence to choose what they want to work on, how they want to go about it, so combined with the right talent and giving them freedom to do what they, they want to do, this is the combination that we have seen has worked for us. We don't believe in creating a structure where the instructions are coming to, to the people and they're just following instructions. If we have that structure, then what is the point of hiding this, these highly talented people?
0: This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vasell Edge Functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso is lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to Terso.tech slash CodeStory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech CodeStory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud cost, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit Cast.ai slash code story to get started. Let's flip to scalability then, and this will be interesting given the folks that you've been supporting and where you've headed with the product. Was this built to scale efficiently? from day one or with scale in mind from a technology standpoints? Or are there any areas where you kind of had to fight it as you grew?
1: It's a combination of both. There were areas that we scaled. We always knew the data volumes will keep increasing exponentially over time. So when we built the product, we focused on that from day one. For example, our first 10 customers or 20 customers would run maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 jobs every night and it would be fine. Then a customer came along and says, we're going to run 10,000 jobs every night. Okay, that required a whole different level of scalability that we had not thought about. We did not even know that there were customers who would do that. So we had to rebuild the product or some areas of the product in how the job key was managed, in how all the the other monitoring and management of, of that thing done. To support that level of customers then the other customers you know customers would come and say you know what i need to run 10 different servers because my job queue is that big so then we created clustering and so any like any other product that evolves to scale it as the market demands then we scale it and we built it and we kept scaling it uh, and you know now we have customers that are running tens of thousands of jobs and billions of records through it
2: The way we designed the product, we always kept in mind that the scope is going to change in future. So always build for flexibility. So for example, we are talking about the connectors that read or write uh, data. Uh, And that is basically the starting point when you are ingesting data from from outside. So the way we created the the architecture is that you are able to add a few that, that we thought would be good enough to get started But to add more connectors as demand grows should be easy. So we always kept in mind that that flexibility and so that we should be able to scale in terms of functionality.
0: So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of with Astera?
1: First of all, I am proud that we survived. That was never, you know, a sure thing. We focused on building the product in a way that was designed for our customers. And I think in the process, we, we ended up building a quite an amazing platform that can scale and can serve so many different needs of our customers, where our customers can actually uh, focus on a single platform and meet most of their needs from this one platform, instead of having a vendor sprawl that is becoming a, 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 an issue for lots of our customers. We built this company Without seeking outside funding, we kept it profitable. We, you know, built our entire customer base from the revenues of the company itself. It gives us the freedom to experiment. It gives us the freedom to, to pretty much move in the in any way that we want, and gives us the ability to do experiments that we might not be otherwise be able to. Do.
2: It's hard to imagine uh, now, standing here, that uh, it's small set of people uh, we have built the entire thing here. <laughs> So I would say that is what makes me personally very proud that the technology that we have put together, it is the kind of feature set that uh, typically other companies would take uh, much longer and much, much larger teams to build. Let's flip the
0: script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
1: We built some features that we should not have built. We have taken on some customers and you know that we have, we don't you know we should not have taken on. We have hired people that we should not have hired. We have started projects that did not finish. But those are I would say par for the course in running a business. The mistake that I still think that we we did is we tried to do a lot more than we should have. I think that whole thing about Steve Jobs focusing on a few products is something that we did not do. And in the process, we you know there were lots of wasted cycles for us. If I were to go back and and correct that, I would say, hey, let's just keep our focus on a small number of things that we can do very, very well and, and stay with that.
2: One more thing I would like to add to that is making the course correction quickly. That is something that we learned the hard way. Uh, sometimes we'll commit and we'll go on for some time and then realize that, hey, it is not the right path. So the time that that, uh, that we continue on that path is wasted time. So making the course correction quickly is something that we did not do as well as, as we should have, in the, at least in the beginning.
0: This'll be fun to hear your passion, both of you for what the future looks like for the product and your team. Tell me about that.
1: We are making a lot of investment in creating an end-to-end data management platform. That means in every customer organization, there are different levels of data experts. There are people, for example, who know how to extract data from SAP or or, uh, Oracle financials and Oracle e-business. There are people who know how to clean uh, that data. There are people who are good at analytics and how to build you know analysis, analytics and ML models or visualizations. Then there are people who know how to build data warehouses and data models. In most organizations these people are not properly connected in any way. So what we are building is we are building this data platform where you know, the users within an organization can create data artifacts and publish them in a centralized catalog or centralized gallery. And these data artifacts then are accessible and available to anyone who has permission to use them. And if they don't have permission to use them, they can ask and be granted the permission to use them. Somebody once creates, let's say, an SAPS extract for, for customer order data. Then you know they just publish it. And now anyone who's building any other artifacts, like a data flow or a data warehouse, can access that and put that in their thing. They don't need to know the details of how to access SAP or how this extract was, was made. To them, it's just a, a black box that provides them data for this. And then they can, in turn, themselves publish some other artifact that can be used by someone else downstream to do something else. The whole idea is that you are creating like a, a data ecosystem within an organization where you have tracking, you have compliance, you have security, and you have the shareability of artifacts from across the organization. So therefore, different people are sharing their expertise in the form of these data artifacts. That is the the work that we are doing, and we are going to see this coming online early next year.
2: So what excites me, the use of artificial intelligence in uh, automating or actually enhancing the usability of data management products. So data volumes are increasing, the complexity is increasing, so pretty much a lot more data is coming our way. So data management tools are going to be there and the heavy lifting of the data is going to be done by those tools. But where we need help is to configure the solutions that are going to be custom made or actually custom configured to your needs. And the configuration is where time is spent. So if we look at the cost of the entire solution, the licensing cost is only maybe one fourth of it. Remaining 3 fourths is implementation of that solution. And this is where we see a lot of time being spent. And of course, that translates to real dollar value. And uh, using artificial intelligence, we can shorten that. We can make sure that instead of the decision making being done by the users and configuration of uh, all the repetitive tasks, those can be eliminated and done actually by the AI. So that is the area we started to work on uh, beginning of this year. And also, of course, uh, not only the automation of repetitive tasks, also some help in decision-making where user has to pick, that okay, oh, do, do I um, go the route A or route B? Can AI recommend that which one is a better route? And all in the context of uh, configuration of data management solutions.
0: Okay, gentlemen, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show off the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
1: Focus. Focus and release quickly. Do not, you know, do not dwell on creating a perfect product. You're never going to be able to do that. You have to put this thing in front of people. Your idea of what a product should have and the customer idea of what the product should have—they are not going to match. You, even the top companies in the world, uh, they will put something in front of customers, and the customers will take it to different directions. Remember, the Apple Watch was supposed to be a fashion accessory, and then it became a healthcare thing. You don't know—I mean, you know—you don't know where the product is going to go. Uh, and so, the best thing that you can do is to put it in, in the market and let you know see what the market tells you, and then
2: act accordingly. Listen to your customers, listen to the people you're showing your product to very, very carefully. No advice is a bad advice. It's up to you, of course, to, to take it or not. Gather all the information. When you when you talk to your customers, evaluate all feedback and see which one makes sense to you. Uh, we have been through that, that phase where sometimes customers recommended something we did not implement, saying that, okay, hey, this doesn't sound like a reasonable idea. But A few years later, we went back and actually implemented it. So that from the experience, we can say that uh, uh, listening to your customers very, very careful is, is of utmost importance. If you want to take a product through the maturity cycle and have a viable product in market and be successful, be very, very close to your customer. Fantastic advice.
0: Well, gentlemen, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Astera.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.